Hello. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, the, the person who was just speaking, um, Jess, she, she called herself a volunteer here. She's also my wife. And I have to give her a hard time because I just she wants to disassociate herself with me. Um, so I just want just to start with that. We're married. Um, yeah, well, welcome, everyone. Um, almost Happy New Year. Um, not quite, though. And we're going we're gonna to talk today about some things. And the first question I have for all of you as we start the morning is, how many of you at this moment are like 12 and a half hours from succeeding in a 2017 New Year's resolution? Okay. Like two of us. Two, three. Was that a, that's not a hand up? Okay. That's the students back in the youth room during lessons. They'll do this when I ask questions. And I'll be like, oh, that's a hand up because the hand's moving. And no, I'm just itching my head. And so someone just did that. But, but I'm very excited because um, if I can go the next 12 and a half hours without breaking my resolution, this will be the first year that I ever complete a resolution. And I'll, I'll talk to you about what I resolved to do in a little bit, but I'm very excited about it. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that I won't blow it today. Um, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 19. The sermon title is 4K. Um, when I came up with the sermon title, as I was looking at the psalm, I thought this was a great idea. It's going to be a little bit of a stretch at times, but just forgive me now, okay? When you hear why, what I gave up for the month, you're going to be like, man, he did great. Um, so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, this beautiful morning, for the chance we have to gather together and learn more about you. Uh, I, I pray for our time that, that you would speak through me, that it would be your Holy Spirit speaking in this room, that you would give us all ears to hear the message that you would have for us. And we thank you for your word and for how perfect it is and, and for how we can rely on it and for that, the fact that you've just given it to us to learn more about you and who we are in light of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent of hidden faults. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be declared blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. That's Psalm 19. 
It's a, it's a psalm of David. It's one of my favorite psalms. Um, I've had it memorized for about a year with a couple of the boys in our youth ministry. And it is just one of the most beautiful psalms. It is, in my mind, the perfect reason that we should spend more and more time in God's Word. It's the reason that we should turn to the Bible, that we should turn to what God says, and that we should make it our highest value. Today we're going to dig into this psalm, and the question I have for you is, is the way you spend your energy acceptable in the eyes of our God? And and the, the deeper question here is, what do you place value in? And are your values worth being, or is what you value worth your time? And if we believe what Psalm 19 has to says, what we value should line up with what God values. And what God values starts here. And so we're going to look at this today and we're going to dive deep in. And so to start, we'll jump back into the psalm. Psalm 19 begins, the heaven declare, the, declares the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, all the pictures here are pictures that I've taken um, in the last like year, except one that's way older that I just love. Um, but... Um, I love this verse. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Every day in Huntley, um, I don't know know that I've ever lived somewhere where I have just enjoyed the sunset so much. The clouds here are always so big and poofy and there's always just like a beautiful color in the hue. Um, Jess and I are from Iowa. Um, When we were back home, I was going to keep taking pictures to use for this and I was like, Iowa sunset, not nearly as good. Um, they've got corn. So, but but the, the sunset here is always so beautiful. And I bet the sun rises. I'm never up that early. But, but the, the point is, is that every day when we look out and we see this, the, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. When we look out and we see that, we should see just the glory of God on display daily. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The first six verses of Psalm 19 show us the, the glory of God by, by what he has done by placing the heavens in motion. And, and a lot of times we point these out to talk about our God who's a creator God. Um, but these verses have, have a deep focus, not just on our God who's an amazing creator, but the order that he has created. Could, could you imagine if our earth was just like, like I, don't, I don't know like space miles at all, but, but whatever equates to like one... You know, like if we were just a little further from the sun, we would all just be dead, right? Like if we were just a little bit further, our atmosphere wouldn't be able to sustain us. If we were closer, we'd all burn to death. Um, we, We are in the place we are because the Lord has set us in this balance. He, he has placed us where we are. He has set creation in motion. The creation that he set was very good. Everything up until the creation of man in Genesis is called good. Then man joins. It's very good. God created this world with, with a purpose. And when this world follows that purpose, it's very good. In, in the verses, it talks about the sun. God set a tent for the sun. And the sun goes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. He runs around like a strong man. And, and this is, like, this is uh, symbolism. I, I don't think David thought the sun was actually a man. But, but David, in that time, looks at the sun every day and just thinks, man, 
Imagine if the sun just wasn't there today. But the sun joyfully does what it does. The, the sun, the stars, the sky, everything that we experience in nature follows the order that God has for it. And it's good. If it wasn't good, we wouldn't be able to live here. We, life would not be sustained except that God put it in order and it follows that order. And, and the first six verses of Psalm 19 are about that order. And then there's like a, a it seems almost random. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul it seems like we almost change topics but but the reality is is that what nature does uh, um the the first six verses the heavens proclaiming the glory of god the sun going out like a strong man all of these things nothing being hidden from the heat of the sun all, all of that points to this idea of order and all of that is set in motion because it follows the law of the lord when we talk about the law of the lord we're not talking about some judicial law we're talking about the, the purpose behind living, the, the way to rightly live. The, it's called, the, the Hebrew people would call it Torah. And when the, the sun rises and when the sun sets and when a day cycles through, they would say it does that because of the Lord's Torah. It's their balance. And it's because of that balance that we live. And so what, what seems like almost like there's six verses on nature and now there's three verses on God's word and then just some other stuff, it, it starts to have a meaning that comes together. In fact, I'm going to get really dorky for a moment. And so for those of you who don't like literary typing, just, just glaze over for just like a minute. Um, so Psalm 19 is something called a chiasm. And that's where you use symmetry and the start and the end line up, and then the things in the middle line up, and then right in the center you have your big idea. This was a very common thing. There are many psalms, there are many stories in the Bible that are created this way. Um, th- this is a way that, that ancient people used to write their stories where like we watch a movie today and like like the um i don't want to spoil it but it was really bad the star wars movie the, the main conflict in that movie comes with like 10 minutes left in it and then and then it ends and everything resolves in in ancient hebrew literature um most of the time they would do like a pyramid and you'd get to the middle of the story and that would be the point there'd be a turning point, and on that turning point, everything would change. So oftentimes in the Old Testament, this would be the, the Israelites are, are turning away from the Lord. And then they're turning away, and all of a sudden there's a nation coming to attack them. And, and then they finally turn to the Lord. And that's the turning point. And after that, we see how the Lord responds and how they respond to the nation. And then finally, the people follow after the Lord. And that turning point in the middle is the most important thing, even if the battle after the Israelites win. The, the author, the language is so clear on that so many times. And so Psalm 19 is a chiasm. That's really dorky. But the point is, Psalms 19 verses 7 through 9 are what we're going to focus on today. Because this isn't a psalm about nature. This is a psalm about how, how David is trying to show us nature follows the creative order of God. And it's good because of it. How much more should we follow it? We who can control what we do. The sun can't really control what it does. It couldn't. Like, if we woke up tomorrow and the sun didn't shine, it wouldn't be because the sun said, you know what, today I'm going to orbit the other way. I don't, I don't think it can do that. But the, the fact that it does what it does comes because the Lord has put it into place. So today we're going to look at Psalm 19, 7 through 9, really close. And, and to do that, um, if you've got your green sheets out, um, on one side of them they've got the verses laid out, and then on the other side I've got six questions for you. And I want to encourage you to write down answers to this. I want to encourage you to think deeply that Psalm 19, 7, the, the first part says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
So, so it's useful for reviving the soul, but I want you to answer this as honestly as you can. What do you rely on to revive? And, and the word soul here, or the, the, uh, in Psalm 19 when it says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, um, we're not talking existential spiritual. Um, the, the Hebrew people, when they say soul, they mean the whole person. It's a word called nefesh. And, and what the word actually means, they wouldn't say you, you have a soul. They would say you are a soul. And so when it says the law of the Lord revives the soul, they mean revives the whole being. So, so on a daily basis, what do you rely on to revive? I'd encourage you to write something down that, and, and be honest about it. And, and if you just write down the Bible, good, if that's your honest answer. But if there's something else, write it down here too. For me, the honest answer here is coffee. Um, so this is a picture from a, a trip we went on this summer. Um, we went to Minnesota for or Minneapolis and St. Paul, and we did this whole mission trip. And for the mission trip, um, I, I packed into that box. I have a Chemex, which is this like little glass thing. Um, I packed a scale. I packed a hand grinder. I packed beans that I roasted. I, I had a little like tea kettle. I had all of that there because I was like, if I knew that we had the space for it, and I was not going to go a week without coffee. And... and um, so the sermon's called 4K. This one's not a stretch. We'll get there. But um, I have about 4,000 milligrams of caffeine each month from coffee. It's a double shot of espresso, usually one a day from Manny's. It's about 80 milligrams of caffeine. And then I have like a 4.5-ounce cup of coffee, those little cups I always carry around. Um, and that's about 60 milligrams of caffeine. So I drink a lot of caffeine in a month. Apparently not a ton based on national averages, so go me. Um, but, but everybody, let me tell you, I mentioned that I'm close to finishing my New Year's resolution. My 2017 New Year's resolution was I was going to go one month without drinking caffeine. And for the month of December, the last month of the year, I have been killing it. I have not had any coffee. I haven't even had like a Coke or like a soda that has caffeine. Um, I have had chocolate. Found out like three days into the month. Someone was like, you can't have chocolate. It's got caffeine. And I was like, that's, nope, that's Okay. Um, so I've been having coffee. It's Christmas. Come on. But um, thank you. Thank you. But I have not had soda or caffeine. And and this is this is like fun to joke about. But but something happened um, about December 4th. Um, I usually get up in the morning and I, you know, Jess goes to school super early. Um, I don't know how you teenagers get up for school. Um, but I wake up about the time Jess leaves and I go downstairs and I, I do my devotions. And but what I usually do is I go downstairs, I make a cup of coffee. I sit down, I start drinking my coffee, and then I start doing my devotions. This month, what would happen is I would wake up at like 7, and I'd just kind of go back to sleep. And then I'd wake up again at 8, and I'd get up, and I'd go downstairs, and I'd like flip through it. And I'd be like, I'm so tired, I'll do it later. And there were a bunch of days this month where it kind of, it didn't start to sink in until like, the middle of the month, and by then the caffeine headaches were gone, the shakes were gone, you know, I was doing a little bit better, but, but I realized um, I was relying on caffeine to revive my soul and my being more than I was relying on God's Word. And that's a problem. That if, if I think that, that if I don't have caffeine, I can't read this, or, or that this is less valuable to me than coffee. What's going to happen when I get older? A lot of people in my family have heart issues where they can't drink caffeine. Am I just going to be like, you know what? Done with the Bible. Um, I don't, I'm not. I, I promise. Uh, but but I, I, want to, I want to tell you, what you what, like, when you think about this, 
what do you value above? I, I have valued coffee more than I valued God's word this month a lot of the time. One of my New Year's resolutions is I'm going to get in God's word every morning before I drink coffee. And, and so that way I'm, I'm making this more important. I'm still going to drink coffee. Um, I'm going to be in bed early tonight. Tomorrow morning, Manny's opens at 7. I don't know why, but I'm going to be there at 7 getting a double shot. Um, but the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, reviving the whole being. And I want to just encourage you all to think about what do you rely on to revive? Where do you place that value? And how can you make this higher than it? The next, oh, the back screen's different. Where do you guys, or where do you look to gain wisdom is the next question. The question, where do you look to gain wisdom? Where do you go? Maybe for some of you, this is Google um, or Alexa. We On our Hero Up trip, we had uh, the place we went, they had Alexa, and our boys kept asking it questions. I wanted to unplug it by the end of the weekend, but it was a lot of fun. Um, but, but where do you look to gain wisdom? The, the reality for me, um, when I think about this, I think about, um, I always ask people, I always Google things. Um, this is my camera. Um, I love this camera. Uh, I bought this camera in 2009. Uh, when I bought this camera, I was so excited. Um, I worked at a video production company making pork videos, and, and I, I bought this camera because I talked to my bosses, and they said, hey, you know, like if I was talking about buying a camera for freelance work, and they said, if you buy a camera that can do this, 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 and this, if you buy this, like a camera that can do those things, we'll rent it from you. And so it'll basically pay for itself. We just, at this point in time, we're not buying another camera, but we're confident we do that. And so I'm talking to them. I started Googling. I started finding out all this information. I talked to people who had used this camera before. I fell in love with this camera. And, and then I bought it. I bought it off of eBay. Um, I, I spent around $4,000 on it. That's not the 4K for this one. Just wait. Um, but, but when I bought the camera... Um, as the camera was coming to me in the mail, I bought it all off eBay, all the different pieces, the batteries, the cards, all the different things. Um, there was this conference where they introduced new technology every year. And at this conference, this thing called 4K came out. And this camera that I, I bought and could not return um, became immediately outdated. I was devastated. What's funny is that um, my cell phone can shoot as high quality an image as that. And if you have a newer cell phone than me, um, you can probably shoot 4K. Um, I was looking at the new iPhone, and I was like, man, if I bought that, it would be more powerful than my camera. Um, and that's kind of depressing. It's also really cool. Um, technology is really cool. But the reality of technology and of different things is you can look to have all the most like, up-to-date information and be as wise as you can be. And in a day, all the information you have can be just completely outdated. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the promise here, the testimony of the Lord, if you're wondering, the, the testimony would be the speech of the Lord or, or what he says. Um, that's the Bible. Um, all of these are going to be the Bible. Um, but but uh, when it says making wise the simple, the promise of God's word is that when you dig into it, when you focus on it, when you make it a high priority in your life, you're going to come away more wise than you were before. And for those of you who have opened it, I wonder how many times you've opened it and at the end of it said, you know what, that just made me way dumber. I don't think anyone says that when they spend time in God's Word. There, there might be times where you realize, wow, I've been blind. But once you can see, then you, then you become more wise because you say, well, I'm not going to do that again. And so God's Word is worth opening to gain wisdom, to make us go from simple-minded to wise. My next question for you is, what is your source of joy? 
This could be a lot of things. Um, this month, all the car commercials, maybe you got a new car and it had a big bow on it. And you, maybe your source of joy is every day when you get in it. Maybe it's a car. Maybe, maybe it's like us. Jess and I have a dog now, and he is wonderful. And every day when I get home, he is so excited to see me. Um, and he, when we come inside, um, we've taught him not to jump on us, um, but he has to jump because he's so excited to see us. So he just jumps over and over, and he's this little dog, but he jumps super high. And that just fills me with joy every week. Um, but the one I want to talk to you about, my, my source of joy, when I think about this, um, when I was at Moody, Jess and I, this is a picture, we were at a park, it looks like we like posed for this except my scrubby hat, but um, we were at this park, and these are our friends Marco and Fede and Tammy and Leandro, Marco's the bald one, um, and, and we were hanging out with our friends, and, and for three years at Moody, we lived on campus at this amazing Bible college in downtown Chicago. We had like the cheapest parking in the world for downtown Chicago, and we lived next to these two couples who are best friends. They lived two doors down from us. And for three years, they were our biggest source of joy. For, for Jess and I, we would, we would go home and like we'd go on vacations and we'd go do things. And as we were driving back home, we would get so excited. We're, like, we're going to see Marco. We're going to see Tammy and Fede. We're going to see Leandro. We're going to see these people. And we would be so excited. It was a constant thing. Any time we went up to our room, we had to go by their rooms in the elevator, we'd knock on their doors. Hey, how's it going? And we just, we had such a deep community. It was just a constant source of joy. And then I graduated, um, and all of that just kind of petered out. It, it, not immediately, but Marco and Fede moved out to Naperville. Tammy and Leandro stayed downtown. We moved out to Logan Square and then out here. And all of a sudden, it became really hard to spend time together. And what had been such a deep source of joy just kind of faded out. Now, we still, when we see these couples, it is a great source of joy. But it, it was a daily source of joy, and it's just gone. Um, this, this spring, we're going to go see Marco and Fede, and I'm so excited about that. Um, and there's just no way for us to see them as much as we want to see them. But, but when we see them, we'll have a great time. But if they are our only source of joy, they live in Italy now. If they're our source of joy, we're going to be sad most of the year, every year. And the reality is, is that, that we, anything that we find joy in, over time it's going to go away. Now, if you're a parent and you wrote down your child's name, um, good answer. Um, but, but I also I want to tell you, your kids are going to grow up. My parents this year are facing like full-on empty nester syndrome. Um, my brothers, both of my younger brothers and I bought a house this year. And none of them near my parents. And, and, and my parents are just kind of like, wow, everyone's gone. And, and they're dealing with it well. They're very mature and handling it well. But, it, but it's your sources of joy, your daily sources of joy are going to start to go away. And when they do, the reality is, is that what we can count on is that the precepts of the Lord, God's word, are right. Rejoicing the heart. Now, this one can feel a little off because I, 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 I bet many of you have opened things and you've read them and you felt very convicted. And you haven't really felt happy necessarily. You've been like, man, if this is true, what am I doing? Um, I I don't know. I have those moments. But what I want to encourage you in is that when it says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the joy may not be immediate. You may find something where you say, man, I am not handling this right. And as you lean into it, the Lord may be working to transform you to make you more and more like Christ. But when you get to the end of that, when you work through that junk you had to work through, there will be such a deep sense of joy when you see what God has done in your life. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The next question I have for you is, what informs your worldview? 
Where, where do you go for information? Where do you go to have a better understanding of what's going on? When I think about this, the first thing I think about is, uh, this is another picture from Moody. Um, it's a weird thing I do where I take me out of focus for Facebook because it looks funny on Facebook when you're out of focus in the little box. I like it. Um, but <laughs> but um, Jess and I were there for three years. And um, when, I got to, when I got to Moody, um, something that, and I, I was not willing to admit this for a long time, but a major part of my worldview was if I get enough information, I will be like super ultra Christian. I will be better and better and better, and, and, and I just need more information as soon as I get enough information. And my worldview was not I need God's word. My worldview was if I have enough information, I'll just understand God's word. Um, my, my second year at Moody, um, Jess and I, I worked 20 hours a week. I did an internship 20 hours a week, and then I did 38 credit hours, which is a ton um, for a grad student. Um, and I burned myself out. Jess was teaching in Englewood, and every day she'd come home and have, like, work to do. And so me and her basically would, like, sit there on the couch working until we fell asleep. And we'd get up the next morning and do the same thing. And then on the weekends, we'd have, like, a day where we pretended like we had nothing to do. And then we'd regret it the next day. Um, and that, that was, like, our cycle of living. And the reality was is that, for me, like, the Lord really broke me of that that year. Because I thought, if I'm, if I'm digging into this, I'm, all the classes I'm taking are about God's Word. All, all the things I'm doing are about becoming a better Christian. I thought if I just do more and more and more of this, eventually everything's just going to click. And I'll be like, not Jesus, but like right next to him, like Paul, maybe Peter. Um, but, but I thought that, and I thought that was my worldview. And the Lord broke that down because he's like, You're, it's not something you earn. You need to come in. You need to have a different worldview. It's not about the information up here. It's about what's in here. The, the big idea, Moses talks about circumcising your heart. It's, it's not just about a, an outward physical thing. It's about something that you do in your heart. It's a transformation that happens. The Old Testament is full of stories where the Israelites are properly sacrificing, and God is saying, that's not what I'm after. I'm after the heart condition. I'm not after the, the physical thing if it's not done for the right reason. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The promise of God's word is that it will open your eyes. It will shed light on the issues of the world. It will help you have a better worldview. There, there is a need for that so much today. We're going to talk about it more later, but I want to encourage you that, that God's Word is something that, that there's not going to be a time where we're going to read it and say, well, what God has revealed here is very outdated. It's no longer useful. Um, if we had a lot of time, I, there's an old professor from Moody that used to always talk about, he would pick these weird verses from Chronicles and he would find a way to preach on them. And it would be like a sentence. And he'd say, I'm going to tell you how this sentence shows how great God is. And he would do that. He did one for us in a class. And at the end of it, I was like, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. But it was amazing. And it was true. But, but the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The next question I have for you is, what prevents you from peace? Uh, another way to put this, what keeps you up at night? What, what keeps you from just enjoying yourself? What, what keeps you from just being able to just rest easy? When I was in high school, I ran cross country. And uh, I didn't do it very long. My freshman and sophomore year, I was in band. And I hated band. Um, band camp, I think, is like the worst form of torture ever invented for high schoolers. When it's like, hey, for the next eight hours, let's stand outside in the heat. And just stand and then move and stand again. 
But um, anyways, uh, so for two years, I begged my parents to let me quit band. And at the end of my sophomore year, my dad was like, you're 16 now. You can quit band if you want. And I was like, thank you. And then he said, but you have to do something else. I chose cross country, even though I hate running. And the reason I chose cross country is because the cross country team every Friday used to play ultimate frisbee. And I saw them playing frisbee and I said, I will take on the task of running if that means every Friday I can play frisbee. I love ultimate frisbee. Um, and so, so I started playing frisbee slash running cross country. Um, if they would have just had a frisbee team, I would have just done that. Um, but, but so I joined the cross country team and over the summer, our coach would have us three times a week go out and run a four kilometer route. The first time I ran the route, um, I was terrified going into it. Um, I was like, I, I don't know what this is going to be like. I, I've never run more than like a mile in PE. And we didn't even do that in high school. So the last time I did it was like in seventh grade. And I remember after I ran it, I was all sweaty. And like the rest of the day was just like a wash. Um, but the first time I ran it, I got about that far, which is not a mile, not quite a mile. Um, and I, I actually, um, I can picture in my head the spot on the street where I went like, and the cross-country team just kept going. And then I remember, like, like three minutes later, they're coming back the other way. And I'm just, oh. And I remember I was freaking out. I was like, we're going to get to the school year, and we're going to go to these cross-country meets, and I'm going to be the last person every single race. And all summer um, I dealt with that, or like the month and a half I did this. And um, we, we got to the end of the summer, and all of a sudden I was starting to kind of keep up with the team. I remember there was a practice where um, I was just passing the elementary school on the side of the road that's right before the high school, and I could see the team turning into the parking lot. And I was like, I'm not that slow anymore. And that fear that I had that all summer had been like, like that kept me up at night. I was like, I was worried. I was like, I'm going to be so embarrassed. This is going to be such a waste of time. Dad's going to come to the meet, and he's going to leave because I'm not even going to get to the finish line before they close it up. Um, I was so worried about that. And then it just went away. The, the promise of Psalm 19, uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This is, this is a unique one because we hear fear, and that sounds like a negative thing. Um, and, and most fear is negative. If we are Christians, we believe that because of what Jesus has done for us, there is nothing we need fear on this earth because ultimately we are children of God and we will be with him in heaven. But, but the reality is, is that there is one thing that we will always fear. It's talked about in the Old and New Testament. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Having a right understanding of God requires that we kind of fear Him. The, the best way I can describe this is in the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis talks about Aslan. And, and there's this scene where I... Man, I'm mixing it up. But, but essentially, um, one of the characters is talking about Aslan, and he says he's not a tame lion, but he is good. God is not something that we can tame, but He is good. And, and, and we should always fear him. When we are in heaven, when there is no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more frustration, when all of that is gone, we will still feel the, fear the Lord. But it will be a clean fear, a healthy fear, a good fear. And that's ultimately the only thing we need to fear. And it will endure forever. And that's a beautiful promise, even as it's kind of weird to say fearing the Lord is a good thing. My last question I have for you is an interesting one. Uh, where do you go to experience truth? And, and some of you might be like, well, ch- church. Um, but, but where do you go on like a, a Thursday night? Junior hires, you can say jam. But for everyone else, where do you go? Like a, just a random night of the week when you're, when you're feeling kind of like, I, I just need to like, like hear something worth hearing. Where do you go? 
as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I, I was studying, and there's this statistic from 2015. The average American teen spends around nine hours a day consuming some sort of media. And, and to, to keep it in line with 4K, if you do the math, that's almost 4,000 minutes a week. But um, the, the average American teen spends that amount of time. And, and, and when you start to think about that, so, so the average American teen goes to school for about eight hours a day. The average American teen gets about seven hours of sleep a day. That's 15. Then you add nine to that. The average American teen spends 24 hours a day either at school, sleeping, or consuming some type of media. Now, now what that means is a lot of things. That can be social media. That can be things they're watching, things they're listening to. But the reality is, is that our, like our young people are almost never disconnected from information coming in. And, and the bigger reality is a lot of that information is just not even worthwhile. I, I, as I was preparing for the sermon, another thing, that uh, it's one of my favorite websites. This is really weird, but um, it's a thing on Wall Street Journal called Blue Feed, Red Feed. Um, if you've never seen this, it's really fascinating. Um, the average American spends like 40 to 60 minutes on Facebook a day. And if you are on Facebook and all of your friends are super conservative, the, there's an algorithm that Facebook has where everything you see is going to slant towards your worldview really, really heavily. And, and all the headlines you see about news stories that are coming out are all going to fit the way you already see the world. And, and if you're very liberal, same thing. And so you'll see a story on this red feed, blue feed, where on both sides, both of them are just bending towards the bias. And that's where some people go to get their truth and where they go to get their news is they see what's being said on Facebook or see, see what's being said by their friends and we wind up in these echo chambers. And the reality is, is that there's probably some truth in some of those places, but there's probably also a lot of not truth. We live in a society that doesn't really care about truth anymore. We're post-truth. We, we live in, a, like, fake news is now, like, a, a common thing to hear. There, there are websites there. Jess and I were looking at this weird thing. There's this group that they, like, actively, their goal is to come up with fake news stories that go viral. And their goal is to make them seem as real as possible so they get as many hits as possible. That's, that's the society we live in. And, and adults, um, even though it says teens, nine hours a day and it's going up, adults, we're, we're in that too. Like it's not many people are, are not consuming a whole lot of media. And the reality is, is that this media is not truth. The, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There is nothing that, that we go to or very few places that we go where we can rely on it always being truthful. And, and a lot of times we just give up on finding truth. There, there were times last year where I, you know, I'm on the internet trying to figure out what's going on with some story I heard about. And the more I read, the more I'm like, I, I don't even know if this happened because everything is so contradictory. What, what do I do with that? But the reality is that God's word, the rule, rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In a society that, that seems so anti-truth, in a culture where, where it seems like whatever your point of view is is correct as long as you can defend it and as long as it kind of lines up, but, but it can be its own thing as long as it sort of lines up. The, the reality is that we need God's word more than ever because we need to rest on things that are true. And in finding that truth, we need to spend our time dwelling on it. 
Now, now we've come to the end of all this, and hopefully you've written six things down or at least thought about those things. And I, I want to say a couple things. Um, the first thing is, is whatever you wrote down or whatever you thought about, my gut is that most of you did not write things down and think this will always absolutely bring me joy. This will always absolutely revive me. This will always absolutely do this. But, but I think what's true is that, that we, when we find things like, like when Jess and I lived at Moody, and, and we're living with, uh, next to our best friends there, when, when that ended, we tried so hard to hold on to it. Even as everyone was moving away and as it became more and more impossible, we were like, we have to make it work. Even as it became clear it just wasn't going to work, um, we, we still love them and see them when we can. But as, as that became more and more clear, we grasped onto it harder and harder. And, and whatever you, you rely on to revive your soul, like you, if you just have more and more of it, it's not going to be better. I, sometimes I drink way too much coffee. When I drink way too much coffee, it's not good for anyone. Uh, I, I wind up up all night, poor Jess, like I, I'm all jittery all night, I can't stop thinking, I get really anxious. Um, that's been the one good thing about not drinking coffee. I will drink coffee tomorrow though, I, I promise. Um, but, but the reality is, is that the stuff that we put as a higher value in God's word, we don't put it there usually because we think this is more important than God's word. We put it there because it's easier to put it there than to put God's word up high. David, at the end of this, he, he goes on to talk and he says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. David was a king. He had access to more gold than anyone else in Israel. And he's saying the word of God is more valuable than that, more worth desiring. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Sweeter than, uh, it's, it's more worthwhile than the sweetest luxury that they had in that day. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. David, who is king of Israel, who answers to no one, recognizes that he is a servant of the Most High God, and that word is worth following. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. David, again, who is king, who is accountable to no one else in Israel, recognizes that who he is accountable to is the God who gave him this word. May it let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we come to the end of the psalm, I want to encourage you this year. Uh, um, take what you wrote down or what you've been thinking about and, and come up with some New Year's resolutions that work towards this idea of, of having what you're meditating on. And by meditate, we don't mean like, um, what we mean by that is uh, let what you dwell on in your heart be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And, and what is going to continually be acceptable in his sight is his word. And, and what when you speak will always be acceptable is when you speak in line with his word. And so let this not be far from your lips or far from your heart this season. I'd encourage you to come up with resolutions or even just try for the month of January. Say, I'm going to put God's word above something that I really like or that I rely on. I'm going to make God's word more valuable than that today. I, I promise you're not going to do it and at the end say, you know what, I really regretted that. that that's not what's going to happen because when we turn to God's word, it, the promise is it will revive the soul. It will make wise the simple. It will rejoice the heart. It will enlighten the eyes. And, and the fear of it will endure forever. And it will be righteous altogether what we are looking at. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. 
We thank you for David, your servant, who wrote these words that we can look at. And we thank you for how good you are, for for just what you have provided us with. And, And we thank you, most importantly, for Jesus, your son, who was the living embodiment of this word. We thank you that that we can be those who follow after him, and we pray that by spending more and more time in your word and relationship with you, like hearing what you have to say for us, that that we would become more and more like your son and and that we would be more and more blessed because of that. We thank you for how good you are, for, for how wonderful you are, and for how wonderful your word is. It's in your name we pray. Amen.